All right, Acts 2, 42 through 47. They, the church, were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Reverential awe came over everyone, and many wonders and miraculous signs came about by the apostles. All who believed were together and held everything in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and distributing the proceeds to everyone as anyone had need. Listen to this. This is sweet. Every day they continued to gather together by common consent in the temple courts, breaking bread from house to house, sharing their food with glad and humble hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. Man, doesn't that sound awesome? Right? Like, maybe it's because I'm still in wedding celebration mode, right? And I'm just like, man, like, people together, it's fun, it's awesome. You share meals together, it's great. Uh, but they're having a good time every day. I mean, you can just imagine this. Like, they are seeing each other every single day. After, after work, they're going and they're worshiping together. They're having meals in each other's houses. They're sharing food. They're probably playing some kind of board games. I don't know if they had board games back then, but they're having fun. And it says that they have glad and humble hearts and they're just excited and everyone else sees that and they're like, man, that's so cool. Like everyone is just celebrating what these people are doing and they are experiencing like the, really the fullness of life that Jesus promises because of this community that they have. Like that just sounds like a dream and again, I'm sure they had alone time, if you're thinking that. Like, I'm sure they were not with people all the time. But if you look at the result of what happens with all this, like, people are becoming followers of Jesus every single day. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that that is one of the most significant, actually, that is the most significant decision that a person could ever make. Eternities are literally being transformed by how amazing this community is. So it sounds pretty good, right? Right? Thank you. I need a little bit of feedback. I'm a little tired. You guys might be thinking, though, right, okay, that was 2,000 years ago. It's a long time. Surely what happened then is not going to work now, right? Like, culture is different. Time's different. Uh, it's not the same day and age. The crazy thing is that sociologists or people that study society have kind of identified these five key factors of what makes a healthy, thriving community and... Uh, those five factors are actually found exactly here in the book of Acts, which is amazing. So we're actually going to be looking at these five principles and, and how God uh, shows us to live these things out and how they're played out by the early church. I want to be very honest, though, because God's word is going to have some very radical sounding principles and instructions and examples for us to follow. Uh, if you want what they had, if you want that, that does glad and humble hearts, which I think we all would agree we all want to be glad. It's going to stretch you. It's going to stretch all of us. I promise it's possible through God, um, but it's going to be very challenging. And so I want us to go into that with that mindset, but let's break this down, right? First principle, true community requires close, close, close wow, <laughs> close proximity. My tongue's on a different time zone. Uh, what does this mean? We need people to live close to us if they are in our life. Physically, we need to be near people that are in our community. And it sounds kind of like, well, no, duh, right? But in the first century, cars were not a thing. And so if you wanted to be in someone's life, you had to live really close by unless you wanted to run everywhere. And I don't think you wanted to run everywhere because showers also weren't very common. So you don't want to run everywhere then. I will say Jerusalem was very hilly. I did not, 
I was very surprised by that. They probably had great calves, just saying. <laughs> but throughout most of human history, until the invention of the telephone, like people lived very close together because the ability to be close friends over a long distance was just not possible. But now that the telephones and the internet are a thing, people started to become much more personally involved over long distances. And, and y'all, Jerusalem, where this happened, it was very, very small. Like, I walked across the old city in 10 minutes. I was like, wow, this place is not big. And there are thousands of people that lived here. So they were right on top of each other. And it says that they were lived so close that they were able to meet in each other's homes every single day. So this is something that they're able to just be right there with each other all the time. They had close proximity. And this is important for true community because you need to see the people that you're connected with. I'm not going to say technology is all bad, right? I'm not going to get up here and hate. But I am going to say that online relationships, whether through text or voice chat or social media, they are very cheap substitutes for real human interaction. And I know that that can be hard because a lot of us, it's like, well, no, you don't understand. Like, my buddies, like, they moved away after college, and, like, I don't get to see them as much anymore. And we want to stay close. So we, like, we get on, and we play Warzone all the time, and, like, we're close. Or it's like, no, 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 one of my best friends, like, she lives really far away, so we talk on the phone every single night. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying to cut those people out of your life. But it's no, it's no substitute for real human interactions. There are actual brain chemicals that are released when we have human contact that are not released when we're on our phones. This is kind of crazy. I don't know this is science, but I like it. Uh, I've heard you need four hugs a day just to survive, right? You need like eight to maintain and 12 to thrive. Uh, I've heard that there's a study about that. I'm just gonna say, maybe that number's a little different for you. Some of you guys are like, yeah, my hug number is zero. Uh, I like this. I'm a big hug guy. My roommates have very mixed feelings on that, depending on which roommate you are. Uh, but the reality is you can't get hugs on the phone, no matter what Soldier Boy says. Uh, I didn't know how that one was going to land. Uh, so we need to be in close proximity to other people. And I mean, like, why is this important? Like, in all seriousness, if, if you want to have community with people that are living 20 to 30 minutes away from you, chances are you're not going to see them very much, right? Because we've all been there. You, you get home from work, and people want to hang out, and you need to see people, but the last thing you want to do is get in your car and drive anywhere else, right? Like, we've all been there, and especially because if you're struggling, if you're having a really tough day, when you need community, when you need to be around someone, you especially don't want to leave the house then. And if you live 25 to 30 minutes away from all of your friends, chances are you're probably not going to see them. And I know this is hard because the place we live in, Johnson County, is very spread out, right? Hence, we're about to say some things that are going to be a little crazy. But I'm just going to say this. I think 95% of the time, this is speaking on living with other people, I think living alone is probably one of the uh, most dangerous ideas of something you could do. 95% 95% of the time. I'm leaving 5% in there because I'm sure there's some situation where living by yourself is a good idea. But I know all the, I know all the arguments for why people say I want my own space, right? They say, I just, I want my own space. It's cheaper just to rent a one bedroom. I don't know people I could live with. I don't want to deal with the stress or conflict of having relationships. But the crazy thing is that close contact with other people 
having those tough conversations, those conflicts, that is what builds community. Those weird talks about like, how, how do we load the dishwasher? And like, I think you do it wrong. Like, those are what builds community. And a lot of times, though, if we come back to an empty apartment, it can be very isolating. And I've seen that to be very detrimental to some of my friends' lives. And the thing is, like, all that conflict, like, that it happens, it's what brings us closer together. And physical proximity forces that to happen. If you see people all the time, you are going to have to have tough conversations. Proverbs 17, 17 says that just as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Have you guys ever heard metal scraping across itself? It doesn't sound good, right? Iron sharpening iron is not a comfortable thing. But it says that we can sharpen each other, but there has to be contact. There has to be close proximity. And our society has produced these bubbles that's like, I don't really need to be around people. I can kind of be by myself, and especially because I don't need to have healthy conflict because I can just kind of put people out of my life because they can live far away from me. And that day, if you had conflict with someone, chances are you were going to see them, either because you lived with them or because they were, you were gonna see them at the market or you were gonna see them at the temple or you were gonna see them in someone else's house. And so you had to deal with conflict and that brought people closer together. And it really undercuts our ability to connect with people if we don't see them often. Practically, what do we do, right? I want this talk to be very, very practical that we can walk away with a lot of these things. This is the first one. Find roommates who are passionately pursuing Jesus as fast as you can. It is worth paying out the lease. And I'm not exaggerating that statement at all. There is no price tag that you can put on true community. Move to be around people that are in your community. And I know this sounds crazy because I know the housing market right now. And I mean every single word that I'm saying right now. This is a, a very, very thing. Make it a very big thing. Make every effort to see your people in person. That's the next practical. I mean, phone calls are great and texting each other is great, but it, seeing people in person is just better. Last practical, give people hugs. It really is the last practical. Uh, I will say, don't be the creepy hug guy. Very important. Creepy hugs actually work against true community. That's, yeah. Chick-fil-A parking is going to be really weird tonight. Uh, if you're not a big physical touch guy, though, or maybe you're thinking, I don't really like people, I'm not good at talking to people, I'm kind of socially awkward, I don't want to connect with folks, like, I'm not really great at opening up. Great, this next principle, this is for you. Uh, true community grows from wise vulnerability. This is also not an easy one. Vulnerability is really hard, and wise vulnerability is even harder. I'll explain what I mean by that after we talk about vulnerability. But it's just the ability to be open and honest about what's going on in your life. That's what vulnerability is. Really, you could probably just call it honesty. Uh, community is ultimately about being known by other people. And you can't really be known if you never open up with who you actually are. And so we have to invite people into our life and into our homes and into our family just like they did in Acts 2. They were welcoming people into their lives. It's a really tough one, right? Because it's hard to admit, like, it's hard to let people see some of the dirty laundry. It's like the whole thing, when someone comes over, you try to, you know, shove everything you can out of the way so people don't see how you really live. Because we have to put on this front, for even for sometimes our closest friends or our family. 
crazily enough, I think this is one of the hard things. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen this. Like, sometimes it can be hard to open up about things you're excited about. It's like, I'm really excited, but I don't feel like I can be as excited as I actually am because I think people will think I'm weird because I'm so excited about something. It's like, how did we get there? Right? Like, how did we get there to this weird place where we have this dichotomy of like, okay, I can't really open up about what's hard, and I can't really open up about what's fun or what's exciting or joyful. So I kind of have to live in this weird middle ground of like, eh, I'm okay. You know, that's like kind of where we have to live. And it's just very, very strange. Like we don't, we don't want to live in that place. The truth is we need to be known. Like if you're having a good day or a tough day or exciting day, you need other people to know about that. That's a very, very important thing. And at the core of all this, we, just ha- we have to be able to tell the truth about who we are. And the truth that we have issues and we're not perfect and that I need other people. The issue is, though, in our society, everything functions towards us meeting our own needs. Right? It's like, okay, well, what do I do if I need food? And one day, like, there was no grocery store, so you had to go to someone's house if you needed food. Now, I can hop in the car, put my AirPods in, drive to Aldi, grab food, and drive home, and I don't have to talk to a single person if I don't want to. Let's say I need to, I need to buy something, right? Like I'm, maybe you, uh, was toaster was what I was thinking you could borrow. I don't know. Uh, if you need something, you just get on Amazon and buy yourself. No human interaction needed. And you don't need to open up and just say, I need just something simple, right? It's like our society teaches us, you have to be self-sufficient. You need to pretend like you don't have any needs. You can meet all your needs yourself, and you don't need to open up about these things. And one of the core lies that a lack of vulnerability will sell you is that you don't need other people to survive. And because I think the issue is with this, like, we know inwardly, it's like, man, I know that I'm messed up, and I know that other people are messed up, and that's going to cause a lot of issues if I really open up with people or if I'm vulnerable and I actually need someone. So I might spend time with folks, but I'm not going to really open up. Right, because if I start doing that, then things are gonna get really messy and that's just gonna create more problems and I wanna do that, but y'all, you need to open up with people. We have to be open, we have to be vulnerable. You need to have people that know, and this is gonna sound crazy, you need to have people that know everything about you. James 5.16 says you need to confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, I know we, when we confess our sins to God, that's when we're forgiven, but we're healed when we confess it to someone else and when we confess it to community. And this is where I want to start talking about wise vulnerability because there are really two ditches that you can fall into here as you're talking about hard things that are going on in your life. If you're like me, you wear your heart in your sleeve and you kind of think, okay, in the name of vulnerability, I'm going to tell 87 of my closest friends everything that's going on with my life all the time right, and just how much I need help, and I'm going to ask for advice from every single one of those people and just let every single person in on my business, right? On the flip side, maybe some of you guys relate to that, and you're like, ooh, that's hard. Uh, On the flip side, you might be a private person, and you're just thinking, like, I really just need one person, max. Max is not the person. That's the maximum. (laughs) And you're just thinking, like, I just need one person, and you pick a best friend, and you decide that that's your person, and you can only talk to them, and that becomes the only person you confide in. And both of these have issues, and they're not examples of wise vulnerability. Why do I say that? Because I'll start with the one friend approach. Plain and simple, if you are going to one person continually, that is how codependency issues start. 
It is a huge issue. But you start to become so dependent on that one person hearing you out and solving your problems, and especially if you're a person that struggles with fixation or addiction, and all of your coping gets put on one person, and that is never going to succeed because that person is not God and they're going to let you down. Instead, God wants to use them in your life, but he doesn't want them to, re to replace him in your life. And you'll get even more hurt because you're trying to have someone else solve your problems rather than being used by God. The Bible says that there's wisdom in having many counselors. But on the flip side of that, to the heart sleeve folks, I'm speaking to myself here, you don't need all your followers on Instagram to know everything about your life. That is not wise vulnerability. Now, if you should not lie to people. If you have a bad day and like a bird poops on you and like your houseplant dies and you're just like, no, it's great. I'm having a really happy day. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you need to be fake. But what I am saying is you shouldn't open up to every single person that you know. You wanna open up to people who are mutually committed to you and they're gonna give you wise counsel. Because otherwise, someone is going to either give you bad advice or they're going to take advantage of that information that they gave you and it's going to end up hurting you. And so you want to only give some of those hard, like hard feelings. You want to only open up with people who you really know trust you and really know that you can trust. I've got a few questions for you to ask yourself to figure out how you do at vulnerability. Here's some of these questions. Uh, do you manage others' perceptions of you? Like when you show up at the block tonight, are you constantly saying, okay, I need to be perceived this way instead of being real and just coming with who you are? Uh, second question, am I changing the truth in order to be found more acceptable to others? Do you lie and tell, yourself, or tell other people that you're interested in things that you're not interested in because you want to have friends? It's kind of funny, but it's like we've all done it. Do you let yourself have awkward conversations? Or are you so concerned about what people think about you that you're like, I don't even start the conversation because I don't want to open up? Honestly, I would say if you're afraid of having awkward conversations, you can just tell someone like, hey, I'll just tell you, I'm not really great at talking to people, but I'm trying to grow. I would say probably 99% of the time people will respect that. But a lot of times we get really afraid of having those awkward conversations. Uh, have I become now or at any point too focused on one person to solve my issues? Am I a handshaker or am I an engager? What I mean by that is do I go around when you show up to a public setting and try to shake everyone's hand that you know but not connect with anyone or do you really engage and connect with one person or a couple people? I want you guys to, to, to share that because there are times that I've been at the block just personally, especially early on, where I felt very isolated and very alone because I was a mile wide and an inch deep. I was like, I thought I need to shake everyone's hand and I need to know everyone. And I thought, man, that will make me happy. But I left those times feeling so isolated because I didn't make any connections. Now I'll say this, uh, I love it. It's a win for me. Any Thursday night where I come, I see a handful of my people, I get to see how they're doing and I meet one person that I have not met before and make a genuine connection with them. And I tell you, that is so much of a deeper, rewarding, connection and community building thing that I've experienced than when I knew everyone, I didn't know everyone's name, but when I tried to know everyone's name in the room. And it's the same for all of us. I would love it if everyone who walked through those doors had that same mindset. I'm just going to make a connection with someone I know, I'm going to make a connection with someone I don't know. 
And I, I don't, like, I'm not even saying I want you guys to all, all be my friend. I, I would love to be your friend. But I would absolutely pray with you and sit down and hear you out if you're having issues. But the thing is, we need to have an inner circle. Like, we need to all build a group of people that we have. We need a corner. What do I mean by this? A corner at boxing, at the end of the round, you have a corner that you retreat to, and you have a team that takes care of you. They stitch up your face and get you water and get you back in the fight. And so in life, we need to develop a corner. So what you want to do is you want to find a coach, uh, find a couple coaches, people who are more spiritually or just generally life mature than you, and get them in your life. They're just people that are doing well, both spiritually and in life, and you say, okay, I want to learn from you, and start getting around them. And then you need a crew. Uh, If you ever watch UFC, I don't really watch UFC, but I just know this, uh, fighters will often roll with like a crew of guys that hang around them, and you want to surround yourself with a crew of people that you can be honest with, because they're going to see you after a fight when your face is really bloody from a tough round, metaphorically, and and they're going to stitch you up, and they're going to tell you to get your gloves up and get your right hand up so that you're not getting punched in the face all the time. And they're also going to celebrate you with, him, with you in the ring after you win. And we need to build that inner circle, that corner of people that are going to be there in the low lows and the high highs. On the, phone, or on, the, on the plane to Israel, I was watching Creed 2. It's a, a great movie. Uh, that was funny, I guess. Uh, it was very emotional, 10 out of 10 movie. Uh, spoiler alert for a four-year-old movie. Uh, in, in the movie, Adonis, played by Michael B. Jordan, he's going up against a really tough fight. The issue is, though, he pulls away from all his people. His coach, Rocky, his fiance, his mom, the guys he's training with, he pulls away from all of them. And he gets beat badly, like so bad that he's in the hospital. But there's a rematch coming up, and the crazy thing is that even as he starts recovering, he doesn't connect with people. And he doesn't really start to recover until he repairs the connections in his life with the people in his corner. And so he goes into this big rematch, and he gets Rocky back in his corner, and Rocky's coaching him, and his fiance is there watching the match, and the guys that he trains with are there watching. And he shows a lot of grit, and when he walks into the arena, he's getting booed because he's in Russia. And it doesn't matter. He doesn't need everyone in the crowd to like him. He just needs his corner. And that is the exact same thing with us. We don't need everyone on the planet to like us. We just need a small corner of people that we know are on our team. God says it in his word, two people are better than one because they reap more benefit from their labor. For if they fall, one will help his companion up. But pity the person who falls down and has no one to help him up. Although an assailant may overpower one person, two can withstand him. Moreover, a three-stranded cord is not quickly broken. Y'all, the Bible says that we need people because you are going to take punches in life. And sometimes you're going to get hit in the face and sometimes you're going to get hit in the body and you're going to need people to cheer you on and there's going to be wins that you're going to need people to celebrate with. And all of this requires that you be open and that you get people in your corner. So practicals, what do we do? Write down a list of three to seven people that you can trust and you can be totally honest with and let them know everything in your life. And don't do this right away, like pray about this, take time to process who these people can be, but get them in a room and tell them like, I want you guys to be my crew. Like I I want you guys to be my guys. I want you guys to be my girls. And you get honest with them and you tell them the hard stuff in your life. And you open up about hurts and you share highlights. And if you're single, like try to live with those people, make them your roommates. 
if you're married, find a, a few married couples, a few single folks, and make that your corner. If you're single, find some single folks, find some married couples, and, and if at all possible, make it from people from different generations, like not just people your age, and get in a corner. And if you're like, I don't know who those people might be, here's what you do. Go to Chick-fil-A after this and make sure that you have one personal meaningful conversation. Don't open up about all the skeletons in your closet, but just talk about maybe something that was difficult from the talk and something you're excited about applying. And see who sticks. And you'll start to find that people will stick with you. And over time, you build that person, you trust them more and more, and you open up to them, and they become one of your people, and they become in your corner. Some of you guys, uh, next application is you need to get in a church small group or a D group or a life group or something, and you need to get open. And you need to go and you need to commit. And it's going to be hard and it's going to be awkward, but you need to go. And you need to be open and you need to study God's word. And you might feel awkward and everyone might feel awkward, but it's okay because you talk through it and you work through it. And that leads us to a final practical, you stick with it. Because building a corner can take months, if not years. And you just have to be patient. And if you're sitting here and you're like, man, it feels like it's taking so much time, that's okay. That's par for the course. I have several men that I would count as close as brothers to me, and those bonds were, were formed over years and years of shared just hardships and openness. And I'm so grateful for it. I'm so grateful I didn't give up when I felt like it wasn't going well. This leads us to the next point, because when you're open, it leads to hard conversations, and maybe you feel like you can't really be open with people, because you're like, there's going to be conflict. And this next part is for us. Uh, true community requires bold accountability. One of the reasons why vulnerability is tough is because we know that if I share something, like if I'm going to share something, especially if I know it's maybe not the most truthful thing that I believe, and I'm believing a lie, which is chances are going to happen, Someone is going to lovingly confront me about that. The, the issue is, though, in the moment, it doesn't feel very loving to be confronted, right? Like, check this out, though. In Acts, in the early church, there's this crazy bond, right, that they have. All the followers of Jesus had this. And do you know what was said to them that created such a strong bond? Check this out. This is what Peter said to them that created this community. He's one of Jesus' followers and key leaders. He says this, therefore, let all the house of Israel know beyond a doubt that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were acutely distressed and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what should we do, brothers? Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Save yourself from this perverse generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added. So he looks at them, he looks at this huge crowd of people, and he tells them, first of all, you killed Jesus. Second of all, he says, repent, which means you need to absolutely change the way that you're living. He says, you're going that direction, you need to go that direction. And then he says, you're a sinner, and you've messed up, and you need to be saved. And then he tells them that this generation that they are all a part of is wicked and perverse or perverted and far from God. This is not exactly the way to win friends, right? What happens? 3,000 people become followers of Jesus. Because Peter had the wherewithal to share a hard truth in love. And suddenly they are closer than family. 
Like they're spending every single day together. It's staggering. And, the, and sharing the hard things, we think so often, man, this is going to divide us. But I think this is where life is found. Right? I'm, I, what I'm not saying is you need to love conflict. To love division is actually sinful. But we have these very, we confuse these two ideas of hurting someone and harming someone. And what I mean by that is two people can use a knife, right? A robber and a surgeon. The robber is using a knife to harm someone, but the surgeon is just hurting them for the sake of helping them. And if we start to think that hurting someone is bad by lovingly correcting them from God's word, we're really missing the point. Proverbs 27.6 says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Wounds hurt, right? Like, but we're not harming them. Sharing hard things isn't a bad thing if you're trying to build them up and you're trying to help them succeed. Like it's the difference between telling someone that they need a mint because their breath smells because you care about them versus just being like, man, you smell awful. Like you're the worst, right? It's, it's, it's different. In one sense, you're, you're trying to tear someone down. And in the other sense, you're trying to build them up because you love them. Both of them can like, this one hurts, right? This one harms. Either both, both of them are painful. It's not what you wanna hear. But, but one of them is very, very helpful. So you can tell someone, hey, that guy that you're dating, even though he calls himself a Christian, he's not respecting you or God because he's constantly trying to make out with you or he's constantly hooking up with you. And I love you too much to tell you that that's not a good relationship that you need to be in. And it's hard. And that's probably gonna hurt that person that you tell. Or you might have to tell one of your buddies, hey, dude, the guys that you hang around, they're not good for you, right? They are constantly dragging you away from following Christ. And that's gonna be really hard for them to hear, but you're sharing that because you care about them. Or maybe you need to tell someone, hey, when you gossip about other people or when you make crude jokes, that reflects poorly on you and on Jesus. And because you are a follower of Jesus, you need to live differently. And I care about you. And it's hard, right? You don't wanna share that. But how else are they going to know if we don't challenge them? If your closest friends aren't going to tell you what you need to hear, we're never going to grow. And honestly, sometimes it's not even like uh, a big sin area. Sometimes it's just like, man, people just don't know something. It's like maybe I'm doing something socially that's just not okay. It's like I just need someone to tell me. Right? Maybe I'm saying something that I don't know is bad, but, I, but no one tells me. Right, like we need to be honest with people. We need to have these tough conversations. But a lot of times we shy away from this. And we shy away from sharing the hard truth because they cause conflict and we don't like conflict. But again, hurting someone is faithful if they're our friends because we're doing it for their benefit. Harming someone is bad because we don't care about them. There's a huge difference between those two things. So the issue is though, it's not just how we tell other people, but it's also what we receive Right, like we need to be willing to hear this from other people as well. That's why it requires bold accountability. I'm really thankful, honestly, for the people in my corner. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, I had this idea, and I was like, okay, this is going to be a sweet idea. I'm really excited about it. And I ran it by one of my best friends, Luke, and my older sister. And they both told me, hey, you're kind of rushing this. Like, it's a good idea, but you need to, you need to slow down. And I'll be honest, that hurt. I was like, I know this is a good idea. Like, I, I, I know what I'm doing. And in the moment, I had the opportunity to either, either look at them 
and say, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't care about me. Or I could say, you know what, you're right. I need to be more thoughtful about this course of action. And I'm really glad I listened to them. And the funny thing was, the idea wasn't even a bad idea. Like, it actually ended up being a great idea. Not trying to blow my boat, but it was. It was a good idea. And that was the thing, is they weren't disagreeing with what I was saying. They were saying, the way you're going about this is not the way you need to do that. And I was like, I thank you. That's, ultimately, it was very helpful for me. And so I have some questions for us. Do we respond well when my friends hold me to commitments to, or challenge or encourage me, or do I get offended and make excuses? Do I get angry or defensive when people try to uh, care about me to correct me and point out sin in my life? Am I willing to have loving and true conversations with others at the cost of my own reputation? And do you surround yourself with people who tell you only everything you want to hear? All of these are a sign of a lack of bold accountability in your life, and we need this. We need people who are going to lovingly point things out. Practicals. Have that conversation that you know that you've needed to have and God is putting it on your heart and you're like, I need to go have this tough conversation. Go have it. And I'm sure you're going to be like, no, you don't understand the situation. Everyone's situation is different. Go have the conversation. Go hold people accountable. And in the same way, go ask someone that you trust, someone in your corner, say, hey, I need you to point out sin in my life. Will you tell me something I don't know? And then you just sit there and you listen. And it's going to hurt, but then you take it and you pray through it and you think, God, is there anything you want to do in my life as a result of this? Those are practicals. Next, fourth, true community needs lasting consistency. Uh, The early church, they were meeting together every single day. That's kind of crazy, right? It says day by day, check this out, uh, day by day they were going to the temple and worshiping together. I think this is one that we, we really miss out on. Uh, you kind of, th- like, we kind of think, like, okay, I really need to only be with my people every so often. Hey, can we throw the verses up there for this? Thank you. Uh, it says they were devoting themselves. It says every day they continued to gather together, and every day people were being saved. This is like an everyday thing. And the issue is that a lot of times, especially in the church, people have kind of sold this, hey, just come on Sundays, right? Just come on when it's convenient to you. And we like hearing that because it's like, oh, shoot, I don't have to go to places if I don't want to. It's kind of nice. And people just want to fill seats. But the issue is followers of Jesus are not trying to fill seats. They're trying to build community. And community is built every single day with consistency. And this sounds crazy, right? Like, I, I think when I look at this, I'm honestly like, well, it says every day, but uh, surely it just, like, doesn't mean every day. Right? Because that's a lot of work to see people every day. I don't know that I want that. But the Bible says it. Check this out. Hebrews 3.13. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And this is in a time when cell phones did not exist. So it's not just text someone and say, hey, this is a Bible verse that I read this morning, thinking of you. This requires that we go see people and we be with people. Hebrews 10.24-25 says like this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It says very clearly, people will give up meeting together. And he is saying, don't do that. 
continue to be around each other, continue to encourage each other. Because community only comes when we allow people to be a part of our life consistently. And lasting consistently means we stick with our people throughout many different seasons and not just for a short period of time. Uh, Next week, we're actually going to talk about decision making. Here's a preview for that, though. It is entirely wise and godly to choose where you live and where you work because your community is there. And you might think, man, I've got this job opportunity where I'm going to make a lot more money. But what the Bible would say is you need to prioritize being with people that are going to point you in the direction of Christ. And if you don't have people that you're going to move to, that you're going to connect with, then what God would, God would lead us to do is say, no, I'm committed to these people that are helping me grow spiritually. Even if it means that I don't make as much as I want. Even if it means that I don't get to live in the place that I want to live. Because God's, ask, or God's idea of community is very, very important. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But again, if you're sitting here and you're like, I don't have this, I was going to say, come make the block a part of your life. Just come get plugged in here. Uh, first, I'm going to say, though, look around and see if you have followers of Jesus around you at your church. And try to be consistent with them. And say, we're going to build some consistency here. And if that doesn't work, then come plug in here. We have great churches that we can point you to. I'd love to get you connected. But you know that God needs to make or God, that, that you know that you need to make a shift. Make that shift. Questions: Am I committed to my people over the long haul? And do I check in daily with other people? The practicals on this one is very, very simple. Check in with your corner in a meaningful way every day. Check in with someone in your corner. Every single day. Focus on your people and stick with them. And now we're we're rounding home. Fifth principle, true community, and this is the most important one. It is built on a shared purpose. Right, there are a lot of different things that people can build friendships on. Right, like the first one I would say is just self-interest. It's just things that we're interested in. Like you might be interested in football or you might be interested in um, basketball. (laughs) Baseball, I didn't write this down. Uh, Bowling, wow, I can only think of sports. What are other people interested in? Uh, Music, there we go. I'm like, what are my other interests? Movies, uh, food, a lot of things. I don't need to keep listing interests. Uh, But the issue is that we we can become so just fixated on what we like and what we're interested in that ultimately the issue is building a community on that is going to fail because it's built ultimately on something that only you want, right? And so it's like, if I'm interested in football, that can change. And so it's gonna pull away. And, and this needs to be said, um, there's an, an issue that young adults constantly build community on that we need to address, and that's the idea of alcohol. Uh, I think there's some, a verse for this. Alcohol is not a good basis for friendships. It's the whole, like, man, this is the party scene. Like, oh, man, this, we're going to go, like, on different wine tours every single weekend. And, like, this is what we're going to do. And I, I know that that sounds a little radical, but here's what the Bible says on this. Proverbs 23 says, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaints, who has needless bruises, who has bloodshot eyes, those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Woe, sorrow, strife, complaints, needless bruises, bloodshot eyes. 
Y'all, the issue is that if you build your friendships on alcohol, alcohol is going to need to continue to be taken more and more. And a lot of times you end up falling into drunkenness. And drunkenness is a sin. Alcohol itself is not evil. But it is a terrible platform. And so I'm going to say this as someone who cares. You need to be very, very wise in how you consume alcohol and who you consume it with. And for some people, that might mean that you abstain entirely. For some people, that might mean you abstain except for only with a certain amount of people. Again, alcohol in itself is not evil, but drunkenness is a sin, and it will lead you astray. And the Bible is very clear on this, and it's such a, an issue in our society that I feel like it needs to be addressed here. Again, it's a, it's a wound, but it's a, it's a wound that's done out of love. Uh, ultimately, these things, though, these self-interest, they, they, pull, they pull apart, right? Because you're trying to take. You're saying, what can I get out of this? How can I get enjoyment out of these interests rather than give into the relationship? Uh, the next thing that people build friendships on is preferences. Uh, people are like, man, th these are the things that I like, and these are the kind of people that I want to be around, and this is what I want. And it's still not a good way to build community because still it's about you. Right? It's about what do I get? What do I want? Ultimately, a lot of people, this is how you choose churches. If you're a believer of Jesus, you're like, man, I go to this church because I really like to worship. Oh, I, I, li I like going to this church because it's close by. I, I like going to this church because I can wear whatever I want. I'm just going to be honest, that is a terrible reason to join a church. It really is. And I say that with a lot of love, and I say that with a lot of honesty, and I know that's bold, but you need to choose a church that has a better purpose than just getting out of it what you want. Because ultimately that's built on you, and you are going to let yourself down. So what do we build our relationships on? What do we build our community on? Selfless obedience to God. Check out what the early church had. Check this, these verses out, right? This is the kind of radical self-obedience that they had in Acts 2. Can we throw those up on the screen? Thanks. It says, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It says, all who believed were together and held everything in common. Yo, this is crazy. They are selling their property and possessions and distributing to people as people have needs. They're sharing their food. They're literally saying, I'm going to sell everything I have to these other people who I just met. And we're going to be radically obedient because this is what God commands of us, that we would love each other sacrificially. And if you want to have long-lasting friendships, you need to have a long-lasting purpose. And if you want to have selfless friendships, you need to have a selfless purpose. The crazy thing is it says they had everything in common, which what this means is they didn't have the same hobbies, right? The Bible even says that these people came from a bunch of different countries. They weren't from the same socioeconomic status. They were not from the same age demographic. They were different in every single, every single way, but it says they had everything in common because they had Jesus in common. And that meant that they could share everything and have everything in common because Jesus is everything. And this love that's, that's motivated them to give, literally, this is crazy. I, when I heard this, I was blown away. There's a, a guy that was speaking on a podcast that I listened to. And he says that when he and his friends graduated college, there's four of them, and they studied this passage in Acts 2. And they thought, man, why do we not take this more seriously? And so what they did, this is crazy. They opened a joint bank account with the four of them. And they put all of their money into this bank account. And they lived together in one house, and they took care of each other, and any, like, any groceries, they would pay for it together. 
If they would go out to eat, they'd pay for it together. They would go on vacation together. They would pay for rent together, and they literally shared everything. And when one of them would go get married, they would just cut them a fourth and send them on their way. And some of them made much more than the others. And every single guy would tell you that was the most financially free that they ever felt. They said that there was so little concern because they knew that they were all going to take care of each other. And they knew that no matter what happened, they were going to have people that would look after them because they were committed to one another. And am I saying that that's what you need to do to be obedient to God's word? No, but I am saying that's the kind of radical commitment to one another that I think we need to be looking for. And it sounds crazy, right? And it's kind of hard because we look at that and it's like, how could you trust someone like that? Like that is such a just personal thing to trust people with. And yet, what did they do in the early church? They shared everything they had. And they didn't care. And they didn't sit there and think, man, what if someone takes advantage of me? They were just, they trusted God and they trusted each other. And they said, we're going to keep looking after each other. And I'm sure some people did not make as much as others. And it didn't matter because it's not about money. And it's not about what they can get out of it. But it's about what they, they can give in obedience and service to God. It really is the, the best platform. Because if you want to have people in your life that you know you can go to, at any moment when you're at your worst or when you need something, you need to have a selfless community. And Jesus is by far the person who commands and encourages and inspires and grows selflessness in people because he's God. And this is crazy. I mean, imagine if we had like relationships like that. Imagine if that's what we did today. It, it really does. It, I know it sounds radical, right? Like I even have a hard time when I'm saying this being like, yeah, that's something I would do. But I think we need to seriously consider this kind of living. I said we were going to get crazy. We really are. Y'all, this community, it was built on the, the gospel. It was built on the fact that they could sacrifice for each other because Jesus sacrificed himself for them. And, and the gospel is this truth that if Jesus lived a perfect life and we all have sin and Jesus died for that payment and he came back to life, then Jesus has defeated death. And if you are a follower of Jesus, it means that death can't touch you, which then means that if death, the worst thing that could happen to someone can't touch you, then really everything else is no longer scary, right? There's nothing else that can harm if Jesus can conquer death. And so if a follower of Jesus has freedom from death, they really have the freedom to be entirely selfless, even to the point of laying down their life for someone. Because what's the fear if I don't have enough money? Oh, I'm not going to have enough food and I'm going to starve and I'll die. You know, what's the, what's the fear of not having a, a home? It's like, oh, I'm not going to have shelter. I'm going to be exposed to the elements and I'll die. Really, the fear of everything leads to death. But if Jesus has taken away death and he's overcome it, then it's like, I don't have anything to be afraid of. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to say that eternal life is possible for you. And you need to do exactly what Peter said. He said, you repent and you believe. You turn and you trust and you stop living your own life and you trust I'm going to follow God no matter where it takes me, no matter what kind of radical life it leads me to, but I'm going to follow Jesus. And then some questions to reflect on this, on this shared purpose is this. What is your purpose? What are you living for? Are you living for Jesus? Are your friends living for Jesus? And are you willing to share everything with your community? Practicals here, get in a D group or get in a life group 
and really connect and share. And, and don't just talk about the Bible, but do life together. Definitely talk about the Bible and learn from it. But share your life and advance the gospel. And if you don't know what that means, we're going to continue to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. Next, get around the block. I, I don't say this as someone who just wants to fill seats. I say this as someone who wants to build a community of young adults who are built on this selfless purpose of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you need a kind of purpose like this, make this your friends. Make this group your friends. Get plugged in. Get involved. And that finally, get radical in how you sacrifice. If you think you need to do something to care for someone else, get radical in doing it. I promise you'll never regret it. it you really won't. Because ultimately, it's the truth. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Just how we started. Your community is your future. If you have bad friends, you have a bad future. The Bible is very clear on this. It says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You can have as good characters as you want, but you're surrounded by bad friends, it will corrupt you. If you have good friends, you're going to have a good future. If you have eternal friends, chances are you're going to have an eternal future because you're part of the body of Jesus. And, and this, one, this one, it sounds different, but if you have no friends, you have no future. I, 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 I say this, and I want this to be very serious. I really do. Because according to the National Center for Biotech Information, loneliness has significant implications with several physical and mental health issues. Depression, alcoholism, heart problems, sleep difficulties, uh, immune system problems, Alzheimer's, and health status in general. That's all caused by loneliness. It says that there's a higher risk of mortality just by being lonely, that you'll die earlier. So when I say no friends, no future, I mean, I mean it. You need to have a community. You need to have people in your life. It is absolutely vital. God created us for this. And so uh, in closing, I just want to say this, back to the movie Creed 2. In this movie, Rocky says this. He says, if you want to change things in a big way, you've got to make some big changes. And there might be some things that we talked about tonight that's like, man, that was kind of radical. That's kind of crazy. But if you want to make big changes, you need to make, or if you want to change things in a big way, you need to make big changes. 